Welcome to All Things Pilates Season Highlight Show. This season was a fun one for me, and I hope you thought so also. As with Season 1 and 2, there were many opinions expressed about the Pilates method. But this time around, there were also insights shared about the Pilates history in photos and magazine articles. There were complementary modalities presented and how they fit into the Pilates landscape. Many episodes illuminated the versatility of Joe's method and his inventions. You also heard from some of my hardworking students when asked how the Pilates method has impacted their lives. For your listening pleasure, All Things Pilates presents the 2021 Season Highlight Show. I I don't know. Uh, I I did it for a real practical reason that I'd had slipped discs twice and I was 29 years old and I was healthy, but it was iffy um, how strongly I was connected. I wasn't really connected because I was born an intuitive and an intuitive is never connected with their body. It's the work of their lives to achieve that. So... I I just went because I'd seen an article in the World Telegraph and Sun, a, a newspaper in New York used to have, and it showed it showed this man with a big bare chest and bare legs and little canvas slippers and very tight like swimming trunks and a mane <laughs> a mane of white hair. He looked like to me a human lion. And that attracted me to, well, what's he saying? It was a short enough article. It wasn't hard to read. I scanned it, and he called it Trancontrology, and he talked where he had his studio. And then he had a sentence in there that he said that stopped me. I based my whole method on the baby and the cat. Now, I don't know why that stopped me, because I'd never had a baby and I'd never had a cat. But that's <laughs> what took me to Joe. A bunch of clients up there would go into the bathroom, use the bathroom, and they would pass what I had there for me, the Cadillac, the big barrel, um, the reformer, a mat, and maybe the wonder chair, I remember. And they just passed by that. And finally, it was almost like it was a, a common hunger. Everyone wanted me to show them, what do you do? Could you show us on these pieces of equipment? Well, I went to Romana uh, with that, and I said, this is what they're asking me, Romana, and what should I tell them? Well, Romana said, you've done the right thing to come and speak to me, because Romana was already on the, on the 25-year trek of trying to own and franchise the Pilates method. So people that were starting their own studios were... For years then, sued, you know, especially if they said Pilates studio, those two words is all she ever got in all her trying to own the method. She was given those two words as hers. So is this uh, the 1980s or the early 1990s? This is, this is all the way till 2000. From 1975, when I, when I was there, 
with her. Um, she was, that case was resolved in 2000. Did you have a lesson with her or did you study with her? Oh, oh yeah, seven years I was at her studio. Seven years. How and was her teaching different from Joe's teaching? Here's the big thing. This will tell you the most. When, when I did something original with Joe and he'd be watching me, he'd come over and say, that's good. Just be sure you're using the whole body. And that was the, that is another thing that he, only Joe, I think, has that demand that no matter what you're doing, the whole body awareness is needed to be there. Of course, I couldn't do it until I, I was 55 years old because I had to be in the body to do it. Mm -hmm. I could work towards it, though. And so he was very, very welcoming of our originality. And good is how he said it. And if, if Romana saw me do one little thing that was my own, and she was at the front of the windows by the street, I was at the back on a Cadillac, and this voice came over that she was, that's not Pilates. She I've heard that before. <laughs> she, she did not allow originality. And unless you're a Facebook follower of Jonathan Grubb, the Pilates historian, you may not have heard of Nausea Corey, and neither had Judith. So let's get right to her story. Welcome to the show, Judith. Thank you, Derry, and thanks so much for having me. You are very welcome. Right off the top, Judith, why do you think that Nausea Corey isn't as well known as many of Joe's other students who are referred to as the Pilates elders? I reflected on this question earlier, and in Jonathan's post, one of her students mentioned that she ran into nausea in the 90s in the streets of New York City and asked her how excited she was, was about the explosion of Pilates. Nausea was a very private, quiet type of person, and she told that student, I don't like it. I'm not part of it, and I think that's why we know less about her. That's the only real explanation I can give to that question of why that was the case. What year are we talking about? Somewhere in the 90s. I think like 97, if I'm correct in what Jonathan put in his uh, blog. So we jumped in his car, I'm going to say like within a couple of days, and went into New York City. And that's where I met Nausea for the first time. But you had already heard of Joe Pilates' work? I had. Being a uh, disciple myself of all things physical fitness and my dad running a YMCA and understanding all the different uh, forms of exercise and Jack LaLanne, I had heard of Pilates. I knew it started during the war that he had taught to injured soldiers and that's where the whole bed frame and uh, exercise equipment theory and, and philosophy came from. So I knew a little bit of it, but I really didn't understand. And Naja's program was called Body Economics. So I wasn't even told it was Pilates. And, you know, we're going back to 1977 and it's, you know, 2021. So... I'm going back in my memory banks here. 
and uh, body economics didn't ring a bell. But later on, when I realized it was Pilates, I said, oh, Joe Pilates, that did resonate. You get to New York City with my is it Michael? Yeah. And is nausea there to greet you? How does that play out? Yes, she was. We went to her studio, which was right off of Fifth Avenue, and took the elevator up, which was just fascinating to me. It was this little elevator. And when it got to her floor, it opened up immediately into her studio. And I had never seen anything like that, because usually all the elevators I had been into opens up into a lobby or something. And there was her studio with six exercise mats lined up on the right-hand side, each with its own individual mirror. And then you would walk in between, and on the left was the caged uh, apparatus that later on I watched Joan Breibart go through the moves on that and thought, oh, my God, this is some kind of torture chamber. (laughs) I don't know what it was called. And then to the left was... Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. So there was just this caged piece of equipment just one yeah just one and how big was it it was like a baby's crib but with the top all enclosed and it was all or or really like a a, not as big as a lion's cage but similar to that where you would get into this contraption and it had all the uh pulleys and things hanging down but not the cadillac and then not the Cadillac. I, you know what? I'm not sure. And then when I saw Joan go through her moves in that, I, I was just amazed. She would come a couple times a week and the physical specimen, specimen that she was, was directly related to this. So no wonder she wanted nausea and her body economics program to go into these studios because it was brilliant. I have uh, family members who build titanium bicycles. I photograph their studios. I photograph, I mean, the production facility. I photograph the bikes in the studio. I'm familiar with it. I like manufacturing. So I'm looking at the Graz equipment and it's beautifully manufactured. There's no question about it. But I didn't think about designing really until there was the revelation of these suckers are a pain in the ass to move. Oh yeah. I mean, they are just, and, 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 and that, that thought of moving it started the, the inclination of, Oh, well, how do you make this better? And then the realization of the price. And then you're going deeper and you, and you think about the exclusivity of the practice, you think about the lack of diversity, and and then you start to think, well, you know, what do you mean the lack of diversity? What does that mean? I mean, I mean, on on the on the grandest, you know, people that can afford it, just economically, you know, people that can afford to open a studio, to practice Pilates, to take sessions, you know, th- there's just a there's just a barrier there. And in my mind, I think more often than not, the barrier is someone's dropping thirty, fifty, eighty thousand dollars, a hundred into a studio, and 
That means that your hourly session rate has to be X because you have to pay X plus in studio rent. Yes. Not to mention paying off the equipment. So, so everything kind of gets pushed out of reach of, let's say, an average person. So we end up with this very kind of insulated group. It's a really good point. Just because of the cost of starting a studio. So in my mind, it was the idea of moving it. It was the idea of making it affordable. And as I've said often enough, I am near cannibalistic <laughs> in the sense of, you know, there are, there are those cannibals who the idea is that the ingestion of someone is, is a loving impart. It, it, is, it is taking them literally into yourself and it's done ritually to become, you know, one with. And there is no discipline that I practice uh, that is not somehow part of me taking it apart, sticking my fingers in it and seeing how it works. So likewise with the Pilates studio, so the Pilates equipment. So that was the, that was the thinking. Liz, what is it about the psoas that captured your heart? It was really, I'm a conceptual artist, and I was teaching at the Boston Museum School of Fine Arts. And actually, it was uh, discovering that movement changes our perception that led me in that path. And at the time, I met a man named Bob Cooley, who was from the dance background, and he was exploring injuries, trying to figure out why injuries happen, and he had tracked it back to the core, that when we really have an interruption in our ankle or our knee or a twist, you know, whatever it is, uh, it's actually stemming because all movement begins in the center of your being. So he was at that moment in time fascinated with the psoas. He went on to do other things with that, but with his awareness and his work. But I um, entered that field, and psoas became very important to unraveling some of the mysteries of LISP, uh, low back pain, fear responses, things like that. So I began to explore it and it just had a life of its own. A lot of holding, a lot of engaging, a lot of squeezing, but sometimes it's too much. And the teacher has to be sensitive enough to help the student understand at what point can you find release so then there's breath in the body? I'm just trying to figure out how, how to incorporate all of this depth and understanding of the power of the psoas in an environment that is so much about control and stabilization. Right. My work is about awareness. So as we become, and one of the things that Pilates is offering people right now um, is a kind of an awareness towards uh, where movement comes from, like, like the initiation of a movement or the articulation of a joint. So there's value there. The overstabilization is one of the problems with psoas that makes it dry out. Carola was a special lady, wasn't she? She certainly was. She was very moody. She had many ups and downs. And uh, she uh, was the one that said that suggested that I become an apprentice to her. 
And I thought, well, that would be a good idea, you know, to mix with my dance teaching. So I, uh, I said yes, and uh, she knew about the career transition for dancer program uh, from the Department of uh, Vocational Rehabilitation. And I went there, and they approved me. And so I went to, to Corolla for 520 hours. And uh, this was on 520 hours of... Uh, Observing. Observing. No, I had to teach. You got in there. Yes. And the beauty of it was that when I was going, it was Kathy, and Kathy and I became very good friends. And then uh, uh, Kathy helped me a great deal to understand. And since Kathy was a dancer, we spoke the same language when I wanted to know more about the whys. And... uh, so uh, we established a beautiful relationship. And when I finished with Corolla, I said, you know, I know one thing. I'm not, I'm not interested in teaching for Corolla, which was, I think, what she was thinking when she suggested it. Yes. But um, I said, no, I, I, I didn't like her well enough. Just, but it's one thing to go and take a class once uh, a week or twice a week for an hour. And another thing to spend 20 hours a week in a studio with somebody. I said, so, but I'll just integrate it into my ballet. And she said, well, uh, why don't we go? Why don't you go to Joe's? And that's the famous me saying, well, Joe, who's Joe? Joe who? Yeah. (laughs) And that was uh, the rest of the story when she told me he was alive and living and had his studio three blocks away and uh, that uh, let's go there together and ask him to certify us. So you were, you did your 520 hours with Corolla. I certainly did. You wanted to move on though. You didn't want to stay married to her studio. No, I didn't want to work for her. You see, while I was there, uh, she was paid to train me. That's what an apprentice is. She was paid by the Department of Vocational Rehabilitation to train me in another career. I was not paid, but I had that great advantage. So when we went to Joe, Kathy and I, we said we, we would like to be certified by you. And he said, what's that? He had never heard of certification. But he'd never seen you before, right? He didn't know. He, ne- he didn't know me at all. So uh, uh, Cassie turned to me and she said, Lolita was just certified by Corolla. Uh-oh. <laughs> and yes, he did, he did an axial elongation and turned his head and walked away. And I thought, well, I guess that was the end of that. I was curious if any of your patients, as they are healing or not healing, would they practice Pilates or have they in the past? Yes. Uh, A lot of my patients suffer from neurologic injury from having their tumors removed from brain or spine and uh, develop some wicked compensation patterns in terms of movement around them. Uh, And the spine patients who whose prognosis tend to be better in terms of overall survival, 
are very motivated to do Pilates uh, as a way to recover and rehab what they can and to maintain function uh, because it's not only about building function for those patients, but maintaining uh, power and motor function and gait balance. So a lot of my spine patients do do Pilates. The brain patients, it's a more complex phenomenon that often involves uh, some cognitive patterning as well, but they do uh, often find Pilates to be helpful. Uh, There's still this bridge between physical therapy and Pilates that needs to be built. uh, I feel where it's covered by insurance because obviously when patients get diagnosed with, with brain cancer, their whole financial landscape changes. Um, But the patients who have the means, certainly I'd say the overwhelming majority actually end up uh, doing Pilates as a way to efficiently exercise and and, and a, a way to safely do it around their deficits but that also helps them with the deficits. What were the biggest differences that or similarities between those four women? Anything stand out? Uh, their personality. <laughs> Each one is a d- different, unique, unique personality. Um, the work was basically the same in all of them. So it was a commonality thread that made it easy to work with each of these people, but just the manner in which they revealed the work. I could talk a lot really about Corolla, but post Corolla, Romana was very, was about move. You know, you move. Kathy was move and think of what your body very, very particular about balancing your muscles. Nausea was even more nitty picky about where your foot was placed, where this was placed, and um, various other things. And each had a particular dress code. Oh. Which was, like, common. Corolla, you... No jewelry was allowed. She would have these little pouches, and everybody would put all their jewelry in this pouch, which would then be locked up in the dressing room in the back. Kathy... Well, you all had to have a towel. She was teaching at NYU at that time. And also with Corolla, you were not allowed to have any hairpins, um, just something soft. Um, let's see. And, um, and with Naja, we had to wear only white leotards with no tights. Oh, oh God. You had to see your, you had to deal with your body, what it looked like in that mirror. Oh my. And no perfume. You cannot wear any perfume with nausea as well. And then Romana. Romana, you can wear anything you want. Romana's, Romana was the, the biggest commercial kind of studio. Naja's studio was also, she lived and worked in the same place when I met her. Naja was the first one to open up in Bendel's before Kathy Grant took it over from Naja, and then Naja worked out of her apartment on 55th Street. Kathy worked in a very small space, um, part of NYU, uh, the Tisch School of the Arts. And so Romana was the, the biggest, you know, the biggest commercial studio. So it was a lot, it was, it was a lot busier, a lot more activity, a lot of teachers around and a lot of noise. Corolla, and Kathy and Naja were much more peaceful, quiet, kind of like I call the a Pilates boutique studio rather than a 
mega studio. And then I got drafted. No, I got my draft notice in 1961. Yeah, 1960. I was engaged to Mary at the time. And uh, you remember the historically the Berlin Wall went up. It was Khrushchev, the Russian Khrushchev, put up a wall across Berlin, and uh, our President Kennedy said, uh, you know, that he had to show some show of force, and so he drafted two hundred and fifty thousand men into the military in two months. I never would have been drafted if it hadn't been for that incident. But I got drafted, I was 24 years old. I was like an old man, right? I was older than my company commander in basic training. He was 23, I was 24. But I got drafted and um, I gave notice to any of my clients, including Buddy Bloodgood, that I was going into the army and I wouldn't be available probably for two years. And then I got a call in October, of 1961 from Buddy Bloodgood, I answered the phone and he said, uh, he said, Chuck, are you in the army yet? And I said, no, I'm still here. I said, I don't leave for like eight days. And he goes, good, I got an assignment for you. Some guy in New York, he said, over on 8th Avenue, he's got some kind of uh, fitness gym and uh, from, the looks, from what I hear, he said that he's got these torture machines that stretches people and bends them and makes them stronger. And one of our writers, a freelance writer, wrote an article about it, and we need illustrations, so we need you to go there and take photos of him doing what he does. Oh, yes. And so I went there, uh, one-day assignment. I went with a reporter from Sports Illustrated. And um, the rest is history, as you know. I spent the day there, and I shot seven holes of film. It was not an important assignment. It was just a routine assignment. I really liked this guy. I spent more time there than I needed to. People got there because they were injured, and they had a, They were lucky enough to have a chiropractor or an osteopath was somebody who knew what he did, and they would be sent to him for rehab. Also, the dance community, you know, they when they got injured, they were sent there. You know, and Joe complained, though, you know, because when I, the model that he selected, that's in some of my photos, a beautiful young woman uh, was with um, American Ballet Theater, and I remember in the course of conversation with Joe, he said, um, he said, I get a lot of dancers. He said, they come here hurt. He said, they should come here before they get hurt. When I returned to Pilates after giving birth, it felt like starting from scratch as a beginner. By taking my weekly Pilates classes, they have helped me regain my strength and confidence in my body. I would say in many ways, I'm even stronger and more connected to the practice than I was before. 
taking Matt Pilates over the past 10 years has given me a better understanding of not only what my body is capable of, but where my strength lies and where my body is in relation to the world. So Pilates mat work is very interesting discipline, very hard work, uh, basic, intermediate, and advanced, but uh, is um, very, very interesting for training, muscle, and rehabilitation. Every day I feel strong and balanced because of the fundamental strength gained from my Pilates practice. Even as my body ages, I maintain balance and strength and confidence. I started Pilates as I was suffering knee pain caused by an old injury. I fell in love with the method immediately and recommend it as being highly beneficial physically, mentally and emotionally. Pilates meets all my physical and mental needs in a magical way. It encourages, surprises and fulfills me every time. I've only taken class with Darian online, but she's the real thing. Her knowledge and attention to detail is superb, and even online, you can't get away with anything. She'll kick your ass in the nicest possible way. Well, this certainly has been a year of gains and losses, though I do hope most, if not all of your experiences have helped you grow in ways you may not have expected. Whether you are continuing on your current path or are starting something new. My wish for you is that 2022 is a year of possibilities. Until we meet again, keep up your practice and in Joe's words, learn to breathe correctly.